There's a movement brewing, and that movement is the Me Total Lifestyle. It centers around you keeping your sense of self intact and then gaining clarity of purpose as you age. I'm Carrie. I'm Joe. I'm JM. And we're on a mission to show you how to enjoy friends, fellowship, and life without substance dependence. It's time to discover how you can begin living a me total lifestyle right here on the Fuzzy Ish Podcast. Let's go. So, gentlemen, we just had Amina on the pod. What do you think our listeners can expect from this podcast as they continue to let the marker hit play and smooth on into the episode? I mean, I feel like Amina was very open, very candid, and I just really appreciate her digging in a little bit deeper just into her personal story and just how she sort of went from growing up in a family of addiction to making that decision to become more of a conscious consumer. And I mean, she sold, what, five, six businesses now? It was just really inspiring. At least started them, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I found her story inspiring, her willingness to be vulnerable and even open going into the conversation that this was not something she necessarily felt so comfortable talking about. And then she really leaned into it. That's impressive and something that certainly isn't lost on me. I also thought that she covered all the gamuts of what we're trying to talk about specific to me total and all the differences that people's journeys are to whatever their relationship with alcohol is. I thought it was a really just very clear perspective that everybody's different. Everybody gets here from a different place, but then she zoned it back to the fact that it starts with yourself, which is obviously like the genesis of everything that we talk about. So I thought that hit right in the middle. Yeah. So listeners, it's going to be a great episode. And welcome back to the Fuzzy-ish podcast. I'm your host, Joe Quattrone. And with me today, as always, are your co-hosts, JMG and Carrie Human. We have a very special guest today, the CEO and founder of Radius Pro, Amina Moreau. Rhymes. Amina, welcome to the pod. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Amina. Welcome, Amina. Did you do that intentionally? Did you find a name for your company, that Matt, that rhymed with your name? Yeah. <laughs> If only, oh my goodness, what a headache it was naming this company. I will not take you through the saga <laughs> that was naming Radius. Oh my goodness. That is a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> but is it convenient? <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, we love it now. That's very cool. Well, we have the, you have the distinction of being very special guests to us. We're obviously, we're a new pod. We're really trying to get out there and lift up stories of people that have a really healthy relationship with alcohol and really are trying to do amazing things in their life and their career. But you have the distinction of being our first woman or female guest on the pod. So we're really excited about that. Hopefully the first of dozens, if not hundreds in the next few years. And, you know, we're just super happy that you're here. You also are our first guest that still actually consumes alcohol. So we're interested to see kind of how this dynamic unfolds. You know, we're certainly not anti-alcohol. We're just very pro, you know, living the best life you can live. So we're excited to have you on the pod and see how this unfolds. So welcome. Yeah. But yeah. Thanks for having me. I feel exactly the same way. I'm not against it. I'm not necessarily for it either. I'm for health and fulfillment and leading a great life. That's great. That's great. So we on the pod, we have a mantra called me total, 
which really just stands for excellence through temperance. It's kind of a little bit of a mantra that we use to sum, summarize our kind of philosophy or belief on the world, if you will. Talk to me a little bit. I knew when me and you were going back and forth on LinkedIn, you told me a really interesting story about kind of why, about your relationship with alcohol and the fact that you do drink, but it's very specific how you consume alcohol. And there's a very uh-huh. interesting backstory on that. Why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory about where you're at with your consumption of alcohol sure. and how your relationship is with it. Sure. Well, so to, to sum up where I am now, I will have a glass of wine once a month, once a quarter. It varies. I don't have any kind of a rigid schedule that I make myself stick to because I've learned over the years that I don't really do well with limits. And I think that's what makes me an entrepreneur. (laughs) I can't really work for anyone else either. And I don't like absolutes. And I kind of treat my meat consumption in the same way, where Mm. for a while there, I went 100% vegetarian. And I was like, I'm really craving meat because I like it. It was more for ethical issues or ethical reasons that that I abstained. And I was like, I really miss it. And I kind of started to think that I will probably eat more meat on cheat days than I would Mm. if I just gave myself latitude every day to have a little bit, because I probably wouldn't have that little bit every day if I had the choice. I kind of want what I can't have. I don't know. Mm. It's a sickness, I guess. (laughs) But (laughs) I was just like, The more limits I impose on myself, the more I'm going to want the thing that I can't have. And Mm. so I'm a 90% vegetarian. And that translates on a practical basis to like 99% vegetarianism. And it's a very similar approach with alcohol, where I think that if I said I didn't drink at all, I would actually probably want it more than is healthy for me with my family history and my genetic predispositions. So I was like, all right, let's just, and I did abstain for a very long time and I was very strict about it. And it wasn't, it was actually bordering on not healthy, how extreme that was for me. Sure. So I opened it up and I gave myself a little lap too, because I really like the way that a nice, French red wine will open up the flavors Mm. of an aged goat cheese. I really, really enjoy that. That's, you know, and so So, why not if I'm doing it on a healthy basis? So one of the things that I had mentioned to you in our conversation before was that I'd never drink to excess. I've never been drunk before. I've never felt hungover. Mm. So I have set myself some very strict limits. Anytime I drink, I am kind of introspecting as I go. And I'm noticing Mm. when my, you know, when the social lubrication kind of kicks in. And you know what? It's after about a third of a glass because I have such a low tolerance. (laughs) And the second I I, start to feel that little tingle, I'm like, all right, time to slow down. And that's it. So you so very mindful. That's amazing. And so we on the pod, we have a sliding scale. So on one end of the spectrum, you're me, and uh, that's I'm probably closest to you in nature in terms of my late weightness. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Carrie, who went way deep into consumption and stuff like that. JM's kind of somewhere in the middle there. So on, on a sliding scale, what you described, you're 
definitely more on on my side of the scale. You know, I was a guy that I used to run big, huge beer accounts, but I wouldn't consider myself somebody that really had a big alcohol problem. I gave up drinking because my doctor told me I was going to get gout if I didn't stop consuming <laughs> alcohol and other types of stuff like that. So I just gave it up cold turkey. But now you also told me a little bit about your husband. Your husband's very, or your partner, I should say, very similar in that regard, never been drunk, that kind of thing. Is that Was that very conscientious when you were trying to find somebody to spend life with? Or was that just kind of an accident? It definitely, so it wasn't a deal breaker, let's say, if my partner were to drink more than me. But the fact that he's actually never once had a sip of alcohol, he's never even tried wow. it. And so he's way on that end of the spectrum. And also because he has a little, you know, he has a genetic dis predisposition, probably. And mm -hmm. he's like, I, I don't want to risk that. And it kind of smells toxic. <laughs> so why would mm. I? And so certainly if he had a lifestyle that involved going out and drinking multiple nights per week, coming home drunk, and, you know, potentially becoming a different person because of this substance... It just it just wouldn't mesh from a lifestyle and a goals perspective. So, you know, there's a spectrum and mm -hmm. everybody's yeah. on in a different place on that spectrum and also has different preferences. So the fact that he was closer to my end of the spectrum than perhaps the average American, I definitely like that. But it wouldn't have been yeah, a deal breaker if he drank more than me, but much, much more like it was a part of his personality. That probably would have been a showstopper. Yeah. yeah. Guys, what's really interesting to me is even just in in listening to Amina walk through this, there's a couple of things that come right to mind. First, if I could have a relationship with alcohol that she does, I would. Truly. If I could say once a month, once a quarter, couple times a month, I'm going to have goat cheese and some really bright red wine that brings out the flavor of that cheese or some really dry cider that I'm going to have with a chocolate cake or something like I would do that. And what's interesting, I can't like as soon as I open up that can of worms, whether it's a few drinks a week, all of a sudden it's a few drinks a night and on and on. And I think that there's probably similarities to that for many. But then the other part of it is I think what she said really sort of in in so many ways solidifies what we talk about, which is everybody has a different path to this point, right? So right. like some people get to the end of the rope and they're like, holy shit, I just hit somebody with my car or I did something physical to my spouse or partner. I've got to take a step back and I'm in the 12 steps or what have you. That's not, I mean, what we're all about, right? The reality is what we want is for people that have somewhere in between that relationship of having full control and out of control to know that there's a way to think about life differently. And I, I love the spirit of what you're saying because that's absolutely me total in our mind, right? Me total is not drinking nothing. It's having complete control over your consumption. And if everybody could consume it like you are, then that, the world would be a much better place. Uh, the reality is at least Carrie and I struggle to put it down once we pick it up. So we have to think about other ways to sort of find that excellence. But how great is it that you know that about yourselves, right? That's I kind mean, of step one, in my opinion. I am very fortunate. No, let me rephrase that. I'm not, it's not fortune. I made, I made a choice. And I'm happy to go into what led to that choice, if you want. 
but I've never personally had an addiction to alcohol. I've never had a problem because I set these limits for myself very, very early on. And it took many years, decades even, to find the right balance for me psychologically and emotionally. And it took some experimentation. And again, going back to the entrepreneurship analogy, test and iterate. It's like the mantra that makes a successful entrepreneur and a successful company, I think also makes a successful person because you have to kind of get to know yourself in that process. I knew that I come from a family history of addiction and I wanted to stop the cycle. And so I made some decisions as a child of what I would and would not do. And mm. those have evolved over time, but very, very intentionally with a lot of mindfulness involved and incremental mm. steps too. never a, Oh, I'm just going to try this thing. Cause I'm in the mood. No, because I wanted to make sure that I did maintain that control that you're talking about. I'm also mm. a control freak and that can be unhealthy too. So, you know, <laughs> There are limits to everything, everything in moderation, including moderation sometimes, as they say. But yeah, it's not easy. So one of the things we like to do is really, really like to amplify the stories of successful people that are doing really well and kind of what what's kind of fueling that success. Right. It amplify stories of success outside of alcohol, not necessarily leading into the big story. Because what we find is that like in Hollywood or in entertainment or in culture in general, alcohol is definitely exalted a little bit more than sobriety or being alcohol free or whatnot. So we like to talk a little bit about the other side of the coin. And it sounds like from what I'm gathering from you, you're very comfortable in who you are. And that's that's actually refreshing because I, I hear a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs say how lonely it is at the top of being an, a CEO of an organization. Even my boss, Gary Vee, talks about how lonely it is being a CEO. It feels like maybe you're not so lonely because you're really comfortable with who you are and what you're doing. Does that sound like a good read or, or am I wrong on that? Well, that's really interesting to examine because I wouldn't have thought to equate loneliness with success. I kind of think that they're individual variables that might actually, you could maybe plot them on different axes, like on a two by two, maybe. <laughs> I might actually think about that a little bit more. But so to answer one question, I am in a stage of my life where I am comfortable with who I am. It's mm. been a journey and it's not been linear either. There have been other times in my life where I have felt comfortable and there have been times where I've been like, who am I and how do I find who I really want to be? But I've also always been an entrepreneur. Uh, it wasn't necessarily in the life plan, but it just happened in a college dorm room and like five companies later, I'm still doing it. And one thing that has helped me feel less lonely, because sometimes it is, right? When you're a CEO, there, there are a lot of decisions that you have to make that are, feel uncomfortable. And even though you may surround yourself with people and teams and you get buy-in and you get different perspectives, ultimately the responsibility also of making those decisions and the repercussions of the decisions, it falls back on you. Well, one thing that has really helped me, and I think this comes with feeling comfortable with who you are, is the ability to be vulnerable. And when you lean from a place of vulnerability, 
it opens up an environment where other people just start naturally feeling a bit more comfortable to be open with you too. Mm. And that's how you deepen friendships. But it's also how you create, I believe, successful companies and motivated cultures at companies. Mm. So, but it is really hard to be vulnerable and open when you're not sure who you are and you're not quite comfortable with who that person is yet. And that's a journey that doesn't happen overnight. And it's like I said, it's not linear either. Since she's a writer as well, I did a little bit of diligence, Amina, on on your history. I mean, all this stuff that you're saying centers around the entire premise of this show with Me Total. So we haven't really gone into the definition of that with you. We've talked about it on other episodes, but it spawns from teetotalism and this idea of fully abstaining from alcohol. And we went around and around and some of us consume other things outside of alcohol to sort of take the edge off. But what we kept coming back to is it starts with yourself and it starts with a lot of what you were just saying a competence in who you are, or at least who you're trying to be, that then you can exude both the positive and negative empathy for people as part of being comfortable with yourself. And that's where a lot of that vulnerability comes from. Because the reality is no one feels completely 100% great about everything. And so as soon as they feel comfortable that even the person in charge that's leading, holding the flag for Radius is comfortable to be vulnerable and talk about the challenges that you've been through as either an entrepreneur or as a person, there's a a new connection and a new amount of, I think, respect in the relationship that allows it to drive forward. And that, that truly is the magnitude of what we're talking about here is that we believe or subscribe to the thinking that it's impossible to have that complete control with who you are if you have a bad relationship with anything substance-wise, but certainly with alcohol, which is a a really big problem across the world, if that makes sense. And I do think that's a really great point. And I'd like to add that there also really is a healthy balance to be struck with how you feel about yourself. Because you are absolutely right. Nobody feels 100%. Like maybe if you're a sociopath, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not one. So it's hard to empathize with one. But you never feel 100% satisfied with who you are. I mean, I've never. Have any of you? I did. And then I started having kids. And then that changed my identity a little bit. And uh, and then you you talk about being vulnerable. One of the most difficult things is having a complete sense of confidence when it comes to what you're doing in your career. And then you throw in little ones into the mix. And then you're like, I'm a brand new person. I don't know how to compute with the, you know, the work-life balance Mm -hmm. side of the equation. But fortunately, where I come from, you know, on the Vayner side of the world, it's very similar to like, the type of work that carried us for a living. They're v- the people are very empathetic at my company, and I've been very fortunate to deal with such a heart-filled culture. So I, well, that's I've been a, in an amb- amazing place. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, Carrie. I mean, you're in a people position in a business that's about not just people, but supporting other businesses and people. And obviously, the folks within the team of your agency come talk to you about a variety of different things. How much does the vulnerability of leadership or the, you know, the openness of leadership or the willingness of leadership to talk in a vulnerable way, how much is that, how big of a theme is that for you in both your world as well as obviously your current profession? 
Jam, is that for me or for Amina? Yeah, that was for you, man. People that was for guy. me. Okay, I thought you were. Yeah, I thought you were sure. referencing me. And no, about no, it. Yeah. I want. I, I'm interested in your perspective on this because I think what Amina is saying is so true, and I think it's such a great place for her brain to be as the leader of her company as an entrepreneur. I always use Amina golf analogies, and there's things called swing thoughts. And in sales or leadership or life, I believe you can only have two or three swing thoughts in relation to a, a conversation or even just a strategy in life. And so the swing thought of being vulnerable is one that I love and I certainly subscribe to myself. But I'm interested, Carrie, as somebody who talks to the people and is, a, and is really a steward for the people within your organization, how much does that come up as a theme? And how important is that to the folks that you work so closely with? I mean, it's everything, you know, and I think even before I address that, I mean, you said something earlier about just never really having that urge to get drunk. Like when you said you'd never been drunk and your husband had never drank, I'm like, whoa, like, yeah, that's right. incredible. <laughs> like, I just couldn't even yeah. fathom that. And like, I, I guess I sometimes wonder, like, are people born that way? But then you said you come from a family of addicts and addiction. So there is something in my mind that's just sort of curious to what was it inside of you that got the download, that wasn't the path, because I'm sure there are probably people in your family who didn't, you know, the commercial, no one grows up and says they want to be an addict. You know, we've seen those commercials. So I think for me, I'm just curious, how did you, how did you sort of separate yourself from that narrative? And again, maybe that's another podcast, but I think for me, it's just that, I think for me, alcohol was like an escape for me. Like I started to feel things that I'd never felt before and I wanted more of that until it became destructive. And it sounds like for you, you found something else. And I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm really curious. And I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Well, first, so JMG, you mentioned golf. Well, I'm a big tennis buff. Nice. Which, you know, they're they're kind of the same, right? You're really just playing against yourself, right? Right. And you can't serve the ball well if you have too many things going on in your mind either. It's very similar. You know, exactly. When you're standing over a golf ball, you can only think about so much. So very similar. I love that. Absolutely. So to your question, Carrie, I started competing on the tennis court when I was seven. Mm. And so I already, by the time I was 14, I had seven years of life lessons that competitive sport teaches you. Mm -hmm. That among having a far more stable family foundation than my mom had ever had as a kid, set me up really, really well to make wise decisions. So to give you the nutshell version, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was an abusive alcoholic. She had to endure that as a child. And then as an adult, she became an alcoholic. Mm. And then when I was 14, she committed suicide. Mm. And I said to myself, no, this is where it stops. The fact that she knew that this ran into her family, in her family, and she still chose to go down that path made me really angry as a kid. You know, now as an adult, I've got a lot more empathy. I'm a little more mature. I can look back on it a little differently. But the fact that she made the choices that she did, despite knowing that this could be her trajectory too, was unforgivable for me at the time. 
And I said, there's just no way. I am not going to be that person. And I decided right then and there, two things. I'm not going to do that. If I have this predisposition, I am stopping all alcohol consumption right now. And second, I had a probably an even bigger choice that was related. I had to choose in that moment, do I crumble as a result of having just lost my mom in this really tragic, dramatic way? Or do I use this really difficult trauma as an opportunity for growth? Mm. Right? Post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth. And because I had had such a solid foundation and almost a decade's worth of competitive sport to teach me how to overcome things like injuries and cheaters and how to persevere and all of that stuff. I was so lucky. I was so lucky to have that because I was able to choose wholeheartedly a path that would make me stronger. Now, it wasn't easy. But had I not had that experience, I would probably be an entirely different person today. Yeah, I can imagine nothing about that was easy. And I really appreciate you just being so open and candid. Yeah, thank um, But I just knew like when you were talking about that transition, I'm just like, people don't just, <laughs> that light just doesn't click by itself. Like there's generally something I think inside of someone that's a conscious moment where they're like, I'm not doing this. And I just appreciate you opening up about that. That's just really powerful and really sorry to hear about your, your mother. I love what you said about post-traumatic growth. Do you have that trademarked? Because if not, <laughs> you should definitely work on trademarking that. That'll definitely make its way into like the social clips that make it out of this podcast, hopefully. <laughs> I think awesome. someone else does. I think I read about it somewhere, and I'm trying to remember exactly where. I do know that Angela Duckworth in her book, Grit, talks mm, a, really a lot ab about, you're right, about, about the combination of passion and perseverance and she has some chapters about early childhood. And I can't, I can't remember whether I can attribute that particular quote to her directly or not. But man, that book, that book helped me understand a lot about why I am who I am today versus like, I could have totally started using five different substances at that point. And I mm. could have fallen into precisely the path that my mom had succumbed to. I could have. And I, you know, I still sometimes have questions like what, what made me different that I was able to break that cycle? It's, but I, I think mean, a big unique. part of it is that, that like I was, I was born, I was born privileged in so many ways, not just financially, not just because of my skin color. In so many ways, I was privileged. How I was raised, having mm. love in my household, like all of that, it, it adds up. And having love Having love early, having love all the time, but certainly having love early is so important. Yeah. Yeah. So to be brutally honest with JMG over here, like how bad would you beat him at tennis? Like, are we talking like straight sets, <laughs> zero points? Because he's the, him and Carrie are like very athletic compared to me. And I, I'd really be curious how bad what? you'd beat him down at tennis. Doesn't one of you live like 20 minutes from me? How you? <laughs> Carrie just moved away from your area. <laughs> ah, we'll, send, yeah. we'll send him back and, and you can uh, you can take yeah. him on to the tennis court. We Carrie, should, uh, Carrie's, we chasing, Carrie's chasing that love Carrie's yeah. chasing that love back here on the east coast so it's good it's good uh, yeah I bet you she'd some... kick my, my tennis game is terrible so she'd kick my butt probably straight, butt. straight you have sets, the mind yeah. of a golfer though and that yeah, means I mean, you I'm have the mind okay. of a tennis player 
And it's yeah, like I get the ball back over mental. the net a few times. Yeah, for sure. And but that's a mental Still thing. I be wish able I had to hit better. The ball, you know? Exactly. And, right. Exactly. Exactly. Got to so, got to be able right, to Jeff. run. You know, <laughs> some of the basics. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, I want to spend the last like five to ten minutes talking about radius and your career and what your ambitions are for this thing. Tell the audience a little bit about how you came, what Radius is and how you came up for the idea with it. And we'll start there and then we'll evolve it into what you got planned for the future. Sure. Radius is an early startup, pandemic born. And basically, the easiest way to understand it, it's we're, it's kind of like if Airbnb and WeWork had a baby, like minus all the scandals. But <laughs> it's basically what we do is we take residential properties, so homes and apartments and ADUs and and stuff like that. We outfit them with workplace amenities and then offer them up for company meetings and team work days on an on-demand basis. So basically, if you're a working professional and your company doesn't have an office anymore, or they do, but it's far away, but you, you're sick of working from home, or you want to actually meet up with people in person once in a while, then what if you could find a workplace that was, I don't know, three doors down at your neighbor's house? And so I'm excited about it because we're taking cars off roads. We're giving people an outlet that gets them out of the house. It's a mental, a mental health escape. It's a way to be social. But also, you know, we're kind of going into a recession, not to get all doom and gloom. But uh, companies are looking for ways to cut costs. And frankly, if you ask me, companies should be shedding empty cubicles versus laying people off. I agree. When I went, when I lived in LA, I had come. A lot of people told me I should run for political office because one of the dots I was trying to connect was how do we have such a massive homelessness issue in this city? Meanwhile, we've got all of these buildings going to waste because zero yeah. corporations, especially in the advertising industry, nobody was using their office spaces or allowing their people to come in. And then you look at the state of the government out there; like they just weren't. They weren't zoning anything for middle to low income housing. So it seems like you could cross, you could challenge a lot of norms and expectations and fill up a lot of that empty space by yep. just thinking outside of the box. You know? Yep. It is good. The good news is it's actually starting to happen. There are some commercial to residential conversions happening. And actually, next week, I'm going and doing a tour of one that's about to take off. That's awesome. It's so exciting because not only does it fill all of this empty space, it may return foot traffic to downtown cores because if people are living there now instead of not working there, then you get that foot traffic back. Those small businesses get patronized again and it helps with housing inventory. It's like it's a win, win, win. And then, and then you know, and here's kind of like my cheeky angle to this. People move into those great new apartments, make them feel like home, and then they can list those apartments on Radius and turn them into part-time offices again. So it kind of comes back full circle. Yeah, there's and a lot of that happening. My- in, I was just going to say there's a lot of that happening in D.C. right now, too. That's where I live. And there's enormous, even new buildings that have just never had a single tenant and that they're changing into residential. Super exciting. Yeah. I agree. It's going to take taxpayer dollars. And one thing that I think has to happen is the governments need to actually come up with funds to basically pay. I mean, not that corporations need anything else, but if you're going to get corporations to actually get rid of their leases, they're not going to do it for nothing. And they're not going to, you know, so buyback programs and stuff like that to be able to take the government, seize these properties, convert them into residential is probably going to be 
a key factor in all of it. But I would gladly let them take my tax dollars to do something like that if we could fix five, six problems at a time. Uh-huh. But anyway, I totally empathize with your mission because I came after, like kind of tail end of the pandemic out from California over here to Nashville and built a house with two work from home offices for me and my wife in it. And even though I've got every single thing I need, <laughs> I still find myself like once or twice a week just wanting to get out of the house and I'll take calls from my car. I'll just drive around randomly. I'll go to the clubhouse at the beginning of the neighborhood and I'll sit down and work down there like it's a coffee shop. So yeah. There's definitely a need to get the folks that are a little stir crazy going with another property for that to venture into, for sure. Exactly. And so, and we recognize that. I think companies are starting to recognize that. And so we're really excited to be offering this, not just to individuals, but to companies so that instead of signing a 10-year lease, they just partner with us and then the, their whole employee base gets access to book whenever, wherever, without any friction. It's just, it's a really great way to keep people satisfied in their jobs, feeling fulfilled, getting the tools that they need to get their work done in whatever way suits them. Because that's the other thing too. Like, I'm so excited about the future of work being flexible and giving people choice. You know, mm. it's not, there is no one size fits all. Mm. Do you work with a lot of startups? Because it seems like it might be really right up the alley of companies that have never had a corporate headquarters and are doing a distributed workforce kind of thing. Yeah, I would say that our two most loyal customers are startups and also creative agencies, marketing, ad agencies. You know, it's folks who are open-minded and creative by nature, like trying new things but also who have a need for in-person togetherness at least once in a while, maybe not every day, but maybe once or twice a week and want to get together in a place that's more private than a coffee shop, but they don't want to sign a lease for seven days a week because you know it just doesn't make financial sense. So the statistics are showing that start, like companies that were born 2020 and beyond are far, far, far more likely to be offering flexibility. And it makes sense, right? If you don't have to pay for a big office lease, it costs a whole lot less and it's that much easier to start a startup. So yeah, those are the two buckets that we're seeing a lot of interest from. Well, and just think about like the fact that we're doing this right now on Riverside, which is similar to like a Zoom setup, like pre-2020, like there were still people using 1-800 numbers to dial into meetings and stuff like that. Like we have been able to bridge the gap virtually a little bit, but it is there's there's a fatigue to it that goes along with it as well. Like there's only so many Zooms I can be on in a day before I like just uh-huh. need to get out and go do something yeah. and be in contact with other humans. Well, there's yeah. already, so, I mean, there's already there's already a shift that I would say is almost seismic in regards to my consulting business and clients now wanting to meet in person again. So through the pandemic, obviously Zoom, web-based, et cetera. All of a sudden, there is a desire for it to be in person again okay. in a very different way than it's been in probably three years. Still an understanding that Zoom is part of the deal, but having place to have community and be able to pull together in locations like the ones you've mentioned, I see a huge opportunity there and I'm excited to follow along and obviously support however we can. And you're in Portland right now, you're in Milwaukee, and you're getting ready to come to where again? Is it the Bay Area? We are eyeing the Bay Area. Yeah. Going back to your point about startups. I mean, (laughs) it's there. 
you're swimming in startups in the Bay Area, but, you know, investors are over there as well. And it's a place of innovation. It's also a bigger market than either Portland or Milwaukee. And we're ready to take that next step. So pretty excited about it. I mean, one question, what's the acquisition strategy of a new, like a new location in one of the markets? Is it something that you're finding specific types of places? Is it word of mouth? Are you marketing, you know, you can make money off of your house or how do you acquire new location? Yeah, it's a combination of showing homeowners, Airbnb hosts, property managers, et cetera, that there already is interest and there is. And also showing Portland and Milwaukee as a proof of concept. So because we're still just at the infancy of this third city expansion, it's being able to show precedent that we've been able to make it work in these other places. And now it's just a matter of starting it again in a new location, but with all of these lessons learned. Companies are hungry for this, but homeowners also are. With interest rates where they are, salaries not keeping up with inflation, people are looking for ways to diversify income streams. And this is a much easier way to do than something like Airbnb or VRBO, where you've got overnight gas and you've got the risk of all of that and you've got the laundry. There's so much more work. And, you know, this is just like nine to five. And then there are no linens to wash. Because people are out of there and then you just come home. It's just so you can either monetize the space that you live in or if you've got a you know, little casita or an AD in the backyard, you know, put a couple workers in there for the day and everybody's happy. Love it. And for the guests that aren't as familiar with your industry, an ADU is what? It's an accessory dwelling unit. So it's basically a guest house. You know, uh, yeah, I kind of figured it's yeah, kind of like a nanny nanny pod or like a granny yeah. pod or something like that. Yeah, totally. And some people throughout the pandemic, they've even dropped in these prefab little offices, office boxes into their backyards with a crane or something. And I mean, if you're only using it two or, two or three days a week because maybe you're going down the road to get a change of scenery, right? You could rent it out for the other two or three days that you're not using it, and all of a sudden yeah, you're making that. your money back a little faster. Cool. Actually, speaking of which, I think the last question here before we wrap up with you is where does this take you? Like, and, and as you were describing that, I was like, I could see a Radius Pro logo on the outside of an ADU getting dropped into my backyard. Are you consider? are you flirting with the idea of building out ADUs? <laughs> ah, we are definitely open to partnerships with people who there do that go. already. Partnerships. Oh, man, that's actually really, really exciting. Because that's, I think that's really how you accelerate a company and a movement. And so we're actually really excited to not just partner with ADU manufacturers, but also like childcare. You know, mm, Joe, you mentioned yeah. you've got kids, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're leaving the house, you probably need to make sure that the kids are taken care of. So we want to partner with childcare providers, with furniture providers, so that we can get discounts for our hosts, with ISPs and various technology partners. There's a whole long-term strategy to this that I'm very excited about. Quickly switching gears, celebrity AF. So these are celebrities that do not consume alcohol. This is me kind of catching up to this particular celebrity because I think they announced that they were alcohol-free over a year ago, but I'm just learning about it. So I'm going to pretend that they're brand new to the game. Jack Harlow 
And I think he had a really interesting little snippet that he gave to Us Weekly, which I'm going to read here because I think it perfectly encapsulates what we're trying to go for with me total. So he says, I'm sick of waking That's up. Carrie's with favorite, favorite publication, Us Weekly, right, Carrie? That's the first thing you yes. forwarded to your new place. I got, first thing. I got enough. You love that shit, man. <laughs> so Jack says, I'm sick of waking up with a dry throat, sick of feeling bloated. I'm sick of the decisions I make on it. I'm in my well-oiled machine era because I can see my future ahead of me. And I just thought that was a really good perspective to have that he's treating his body as something that he needs to kind of propel him into the future that he wants. So I don't know how you guys feel about that, but you know, I'm not a really big Jack Harlow fan, but I, I think with that statement, I'm probably going to start to pay more attention to his music in the future. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had my last drink when I was 29 years old. I don't know how old Jack Harlow is, but I feel like maybe he's in that window somewhere. And it yeah, took me a long time to get to that decision. But I mean, just hearing those words, like that's incredible that he's there right now. And just with the influence that he has, I would imagine him making that decision is going to make a huge impact. So it's, I think it's exciting that he's choosing this road and that he's being so open and candid about it. Yeah. Yep. Saw some, and I can't. I wish I could remember who it was that said it. But what, how would you treat your body if it was a car that you, if you treated it like a car that you'd have for the rest of your life? Like, would you put it in a garage? Obviously, oil change it seems similar to that, right? Like, and it's such an interesting perspective. Like, we only get one body, so why would we put things in it to create what could be a worse outcome than the one that we want? And for me personally, I just subscribe to everything that he said specific to how he feels. Mine is more specific to anxiety. You know, I used to wake up in the morning stressed out and sort of a very visceral, anxious feeling. And since I've been able to cut alcohol from my consumption, that that magnitude of uneasiness or stress or anxiety, it just, it feels so much more manageable. It's still there. It just doesn't have that really visceral feeling that I think was generated from the leftovers of that booze. Cool. And let's take it away with the last segment. Let's uh, let's do feed heat. So everybody, what's going on the dogs right now? Who's what are the dogs barking with right now? I've you got uh, so it's uh it's TEDx weekend, so I got the special edition. Oh okay. Special edition. Hold on. Oh, no. What's up? What's up? Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, oh man. Damn. Damn. Your sneaker, I feel like your sneaker budget might have gone up since we started this podcast. Yeah, these are given to me, man. My hot hottest shoes are all gifts, which I appreciate. Yeah. Okay, this has been the Fuzzy-ish podcast. We're your hosts. We're glad you came out. If you're not subscribing yet, please do so on any place that you can find a podcast or you know on YouTube. Feel free to subscribe and hit the bell so you get the notifications. But we really love bringing you this content, and we hope that you have a tremendous week until the next episode. Signing off. Peace. Love you, brother. Take care. Love you guys. Yeah, take care. Love you guys. Take care. Peace.